Let's uh, continue in worship now this morning by turning in our Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. We are continuing in our series on the family tree of Jesus this morning by looking at the life of Jacob. So last week was Isaac. Uh, this week we are looking at the life of Jacob. I know, uh, I won't have you raise your hand. I know there's some uh, big WWE wrestling fans in this, uh, in our midst this morning. I know that because uh, sometimes I've, I've gone to people's houses to visit and you guys are watching wrestling when I show up. So I know there's some, some fans here this morning. Uh, I've never gotten into it. My dad uh, used to, he's here this morning, he used to go uh, uh, growing up and watch some of the old wrestlers, They're Andre the Giant and Haystacks Calhoun and Bobo Brazil. Anyone with me on those? Anyone you remember those? Some of you. So even actually, Chris, didn't you go on Christmas one year? Do I have that right? To go? Yeah, even so that's a, the Christmas tie-in. Uh, my dad's family went on Christmas Day to go watch those wrestlers back in the day. And uh, the story of Jacob's life, why are you talking about this, Pastor Mike? The story of Jacob's life is, uh, is a story of wrestling uh, matches. Particularly, there's uh, two wrestling matches that bookend the story of Jacob's life. I like doing this series because we're able to take actually a wide-angle view on the whole life of Jacob rather than kind of zooming in on the different stories. Uh, normally, we would probably take five or six weeks to look at the life of Jacob. We're doing it all in one week this morning, and we're able to see kind of the wide-angle view. And what Scripture shows us is... Uh, Two bookending wrestling matches that both take place in the dark. One takes place in the womb with his brother, and then another one takes place in the dark with God. And so that's uh, this morning. Uh, we're gonna look at. We're gonna watch some wrestling this morning. So if you're a wrestling fan, this is you. This is finally the sermon for you. We're gonna watch some wrestling this morning and see uh, what is going on in the life of Jacob. So let's pray and uh, let's ask the Lord to help us this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we, um, we praise you this morning, and we just stop um, to quiet our hearts before you right now, and ask that your spirit would fill this place, speak to us, God, through your word, by your spirit, not just to give knowledge which puffs up, but to give us a greater love which builds up, Lord. So as we look at these wrestling matches and we ponder the ways that we ourselves wrestle with you, God, I just ask that you would give us a great humility to truly see what your word says and do it. Not be like the man described in the book of James who looks in the mirror and then immediately forgets what he looks like. But God, that as we look into the mirror of your word this morning, as it is held up to our very souls, that we would see the areas that you want us to change so that we can become more like Jesus and that we would humbly submit, God. Help me as I preach, give me strength, give me everything I need, and just uh, a humility, guard my words, and uh, may you be big this morning, Jesus. We pray these things in his name, amen. All right, well, this morning, uh, I was trying to think of a really good analogy to kind of describe, like, what's going on with Jacob, and I couldn't really think of one, but, um, so I got these 
these two guys in the front row here. And uh, okay, so uh, Bennett, what is something that you want for Christmas this morning or this year? What's something? No pressure. Take your time, man. You got plenty of time. What's something that's maybe a friend of yours wants for Christmas? We'll pretend that's what you want. What's something you think Bryce wants for Christmas? You don't know. Basketball cards. Very good. Perfect. Very good. All right. So let's say, Bennett, that you are hanging out with Bryce and you know that he really wants basketball cards for Christmas, but he doesn't have any money for them. And so, Bennett, what do you do? Because you're such a good friend. You go out and you use your money and you buy Bryce some basketball cards. That was so nice of you, wasn't it? So Christmas comes around. You wrap them up. You give them to Bryce. Bryce opens them. And uh, he says, wow, thank you, Bennett. That was so nice of you, but I just, I can't take this. I can't, I can't take this gift. You're like, why not? Like, I want you to have it. I spent my money on this. You're my good friend. Like, just take the gift. And Bryce says, no, I, I'm not going to take the gift. I can't do it. And you say, okay. And so you take it back. And then later on, Bennett, you find out that the police have been called because Bryce went to Target and shoved some basketball cards in his pocket and walked out the door and was trying to steal them. What would you, now Bryce, you would never do that, of course. Um, what would you think about that? What are you doing, man? I just bought these for you and you're, you're stealing, you wouldn't take them and then you're trying to steal them. What, it doesn't make any sense, right? Like it doesn't compute. He had them, he rejected them, and then he tried to steal them. Weird story. Uh, that is exactly the life of Jacob. Exactly. Jacob, the story of Jacob is ultimately the story of a man who was given promises from God, incredible promises of blessing, and could not accept the blessing from God, and instead did everything he could for his entire life to instead try to manipulate and steal those things that God had promised for him. And uh, that is the story of Jacob. Why would Jacob spend his whole life trying to steal what God had promised him all along? It doesn't make any sense. But you know what? It's also exactly what we struggle with in our hearts as well. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're just going to go on a journey together, like I said, and we're going to look at the wrestling matches of Jacob. And ultimately, we're going to see that it took a hip shot from the Lord to uh, finally set Jacob straight. But we're, um, we're, it could take us a little bit to get there. So uh, before we get there, we need to look at this first wrestling match of Jacob's life. So look with me in Genesis 25, uh, starting in verse 19. It says this. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, 
Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord why this wrestling match was taking place in her womb. This is what the Lord said to her, verse 23. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Now, this is interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, this continues the pattern in Genesis that goes completely against cultural norms that the younger would be chosen over the older. See, we're not familiar with ancient Near Eastern culture. We're only familiar with the Bible. And in the Bible, especially in the book of Genesis, the younger is chosen over the older uh, basically every single time, right? You start with Cain and Abel, and whose uh, sacrifice did God accept? It was the younger brother, and that did not make Cain very happy. And then you move on uh, with Ishmael, the firstborn of Abraham, and Isaac, the secondborn. Isaac was the one that the blessing was going to, the promise went through. And now here we are with Jacob and Esau, and then uh, after that, we're going to see it with Joseph next week, not to mention King David after that. And so there's this pattern over and over in the scripture of God choosing uh, counterculturally to the extreme. The older brother was the one who was meant to carry on the family name. The older brother would receive the vast majority of the inheritance. The older brother was to basically become his father when his father died. And uh, instead, over and over again, we see God choosing the younger brother over the older. God, and God says here, the older shall serve the younger. And this, I'm the oldest uh, brother, so this rubs me a little bit the wrong way. My younger brother's actually here this morning, so it really is kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth to read those words. But this is what God says. And we need to understand what this means when he says the older shall serve the younger. This doesn't just mean that like Jacob's going to be better than Esau or that God just like for some reason wants him to have more stuff. Remember, we're talking about a very specific family, the family of Abraham, who was given a very specific promise, right? You remember that? It's three promises that Abraham was given. He was promised uh, a people that would be innumerable, right? Greater than the stars in the sky. What else was he promised? A land for his people, right? And then thirdly, and most importantly, ultimately, all these things built up to the final promise, which you all underlined in your Bibles a couple weeks ago, Genesis 12, 3, you remember? All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you, through your offspring. And so when we see this family, a specific blessing uh, promised through a specific person, it's talking about carrying on that Abrahamic blessing, that Abraham, that covenant that God made with Abraham. And so what God's saying here, it's, it's not immediately clear if you're just reading it, but what God is saying here to Rebecca is that Jacob is going to be the one to carry on the blessing that I gave to Abraham. And so as we come to this story, we realize that this is, Jacob is the one that God is choosing to continue that promise through. Even though he's not the oldest, uh, he is the chosen one here. And so we can fast forward, and, and the twins are born. So look at verse 24. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, 
all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Esau was not chosen to be a pampers baby model. Um, Esau was an ugly baby. I mean, <laughs> red and hairy. I mean, good grief. Uh, not just a lot of hair on the head. I mean, hair all his back looked like your Uncle Ned's back. I mean, it was hairy coming right out the womb. And uh, they named him Esau. So we kind of have a, we have a twin play on words here that we don't see in English. But he's given two names, Esau and Edom. Esau kind of rhymes with hairy. And Edom kind of in Hebrew rhymes with red. And so his name is Red Hairy Guy, basically. And uh, that's Esau. And then we have Jacob. We already know this guy has been chosen to, be, to receive the blessing. And there must be a reason for that, right? Like God must have known uh, how both of them are going to turn out and realize Jacob is going to be an amazing guy. And so he's got to be the one that I choose to give my blessing to. And so let's see what the text has to say about him. Verse 26. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So he, his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. All right, so the chosen one of this family is born. And what is the first thing that we learn about him in verse uh, 26? What's this? We get this weird little detail, right, about when he's born. What's he doing? He's grabbing his heel, his brother's heel. Now, this is, I'm, I'm such a Bible nerd. I love this kind of stuff. Okay, the word heel, think, let's put on our thinking caps, has shown up one time before this in the book of Genesis, okay? Does anyone remember when the, book, the word heel showed up in Genesis? The serpent, right? The curse of the serpent. He says that there would be a seed of the woman who would come that would crush the serpent's head, but you will what? Strike his heel. Yeah, okay. So somebody who is grabbing or striking somebody's heel, is this a positive trait that the author of Genesis wants to give us, or a negative trait. It's not good. Yeah, he's a snake, is what the author is telling us here. Jacob is the heel grabber. He's the snake. What's a heel grabber? It's, a, it's a, someone who trips you up, right? Uh, I heard a story this week of somebody uh, in our church who was uh, at work, and he was sitting on a stool, and uh, he went to get off the stool, and his legs were kind of wrapped up in the stool, and he, and he stood up, and as he stood up, he realized that he wasn't getting his heel out of the stool, and he and the stool, just slow motion, both completely fell over, and uh, he was bleeding, and he said that uh, everyone was laughing at him, and it was really quite the humiliating thing. I mean, he's just slow motion, boom. The, heel, the stool grabbed his heel, and when somebody grabs your heel, it trips you up. And that is like the perfect analogy. If the heel was sentient and did it on purpose, that's Jacob. Exactly. Like that's the perfect analogy of who Jacob is. And uh, for his whole life, like Jacob, again, as we look at just an overview of the life of Jacob, like he lives up to his name. And uh, starting with the, the very next story that we read, his brother Esau, 
Um, Esau, we know the story. He's in the field hunting all day, and he's exhausted. He's super hungry. He thinks he's going to die because he's just so darn hungry, and uh, he needs something to eat. And so Esau slash red says to Jacob slash the snake, give me some of that red stew. It's actually the word Hebrew, red, red. Give me some of that red, red. So red says, give me some of that red, red. It's like like the author's like morphing them into like one person with this stew. Like it's all he can even think about. And uh, so he says, give me some of that red stew. And so what does Jacob do? He realizes, I got some leverage here, right? Some of you are like, brilliant business people and you can just like immediately like, oh, I know where the leverage is in this situation and I'm going to, you know, make sure I take advantage of that leverage. And uh, hopefully we use those for that for kingdom purposes, right? It can be a good gift or something that's not so good. And in Jacob's case, it was not so good. And uh, he immediately realized, oh, I'm going to take my brother here. Like, uh, here we go. And so he like literally, he pours a bowl of stew and then like he pulls out a contract essentially that's been notarized already and signed by his lawyer and says, uh, okay, here we go. Yeah, you can have some stew. Just sign your birthright, birthright right here on the dotted line. And Esau's like, what good is a birthright if I dar- die from starvation? Like, oh my goodness, I, that does, of course I'm going to take this deal. I need this soup. And uh, so I love, uh, there, there's like four, four verbs right in a row. He took and he ate and he just got up and left. Like it's just, he gobbles up this stew in like 30 seconds and just goes on his way. Like he, uh, he didn't care about his birthright at all. Um, it was a little short-sighted is what we're supposed to see. And Jacob, the heel grabber, got him. That's what we're supposed to see there. And as you can see, he is already doing everything he can to finagle his way to stealing the thing that God has promised him. Okay? That's the point. God promised Jacob's mom that Jacob is going to be the blessed one. And instead, what does Jacob do? He just tries to steal it. It doesn't make any sense. And that's just the beginning. There's another story that happens later on, right? And this time, his mom's in on the deception. And uh, this one, again, it's just, this, these are funny stories. We can l- l- read these stories and, and laugh a little bit, uh, as, as sad as they are. Isaac's getting old, can't see very well, and he wants to bless, he wants to give Esau the blessing. And so he tells him to go hunt some game, and when he comes back and makes some of that delicious stew that he makes, he will bless him. And so uh, when he was doing that, Jacob and his mom devised the plan for Jacob to put on his brother's clothes and cover his smooth skin with animal fur so that he would smell like and feel like his brother. This is absurd. I just would have loved to see this, you know, I mean, how ridiculous did he look? And how hairy must Esau have been? I mean, unbelievable. Um, so Jacob goes in and he brings some stew again, and Isaac smells the stew. And you can tell as you read the story, we don't have time to get into it, but you can tell that he, uh, he's a little skeptical at first. Are you really Esau? He keeps asking him. And then, uh, but he feels the hairy skin. He says, it smells his clothes. He says, This is my beloved son. Esau, and he gives him the family promise, cursed be anyone who curses you, blessed be anyone who blesses you. 
all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And uh, then Esau comes back from the fields and realizes what has happened, but it's too late because the snake has struck again. The stool got another victim here. And uh, I just want to stop for a minute. Just think about this. It's just this family, man. It's all sorts of messed up. Because what was Isaac supposed to do? He was supposed to give the blessing to Jacob. He knew what God had told his wife. And yet he preferred Esau. And so he was going to completely disobey God and give the blessing to Esau. And so meanwhile, Esau has already sold his birthright for a bowl of red stew. And then Rebekah and Jacob decide the best way to give Jacob the blessing is have him dress up like an animal and pretend to be his brother. And then Isaac thinks he's blessing Esau the whole time, which would have been disobedient. But he's actually blessing Jacob, who only gets the blessing because he's lying. Like, I don't know what kind of family dynamics you had going on at Thanksgiving, but it would be tough to rival the family dysfunction that's going on here. Like, this is all kinds of messed up. You can't even keep it all straight. And uh, this is a story where literally everyone is doing the wrong thing. Like, you read the Bible, and as you're trying to apply it, you're like, well, okay, who's doing the wrong thing? Who's doing the right thing? So I know I can try to live like the person who's doing the right thing and not do the things that the person that's doing the wrong thing is doing. And everyone's doing the wrong thing in this story. I'm like struggling as I'm studying this. Like, what, what do we even do with this here? And um, I think what we do with it is just we observe something really cool, which is that the result of literally everyone's disobedience is what? That God's plan happened anyway. Did God command Rebekah and Jacob to trick Isaac like this? No, definitely not. Did God tell Jacob to steal his brother's birthright while he was vulnerable and hungry? Absolutely not. And yet, somehow, in God's providence, he worked it all out. How does God do it? How does God always get his way? How do God's plans always work? This is what Joseph says. We're going to see a similar thing happening in the next week, in the next story. Joseph says this in Exodus 50, 20. This is the perfect summary. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You meant evil against me but God meant it for good. This is what God does. Think about your life. Think about a terrible decision you've made, a foolish thing you've done, a horrible thing that was done to you. I'd be willing to bet more often than not you can look at that thing and say, I meant it for evil or someone else meant it for evil, but somehow, some way, God has turned it into good. God will get his way no matter what. He's not dependent on us for his plan to happen. And praise God for that. Amen? He uses us, but he doesn't need us for his plan to work. The whole family is a giant mess right now. We're supposed to see, as, as we look at the life of Jacob, 
we're supposed to take a step back and see complete and utter chaos, and yet in the midst of the chaos, a total control and sovereignty of God. And so this morning, I just want you to know, you can rest in the sovereignty of God. Sometimes a heel grabber trips you up. Sometimes the stool knocks you over. Sometimes you are the one who is acting like the snake. Sometimes everyone is acting like a bunch of snakes. And God will not be moved in the midst of it. He is not in heaven thinking, oh boy, they better start acting right or everything that I want to happen is going to be ruined. No, he is sovereign. He is in control. Now, will it go better for you if you act according to God's will? Yes. <laughs> Unequivocally, yes. The point of this is not, oh, good, we can just go and steal and take and grab and do whatever we want because God's will is going to happen anyway. It's going to go better for you <laughs> if you are acting according to the will of God. In fact, we see that in exactly what happens next in Jacob's life. Genesis chapter 29 Irony of ironies, the deceiver gets deceived. And we don't have time to read it this morning. That's your homework this week is to read Genesis chapter 29. But essentially, Jacob gets tricked by his future father-in-law in the same way that he tricked his dad. He thinks he's marrying Rachel, but he's actually marrying Leah. And we just have to, we don't have time to get into it, but we just have look at Genesis 29, 25. This is so rich. This is what Jacob says after he realizes he's been deceived. He says, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? How could you do that? <laughs> How could you deceive me? That's so wrong. Do you see what? I mean, this is called getting a taste of your own medicine Bible style is what that is. And then... Right after he gets deceived, Jacob goes back to being the snake slash shield grabber or whatever because then he and Rachel, his new wife, trick her father through a plot that includes Rachel sitting on a bunch of stolen stuff and pretending that she can't get up because she is uh, on her time of the month. That is the, that is the story. The Bible is crazy, guys. And it shows real life. And it shows real dysfunction. And we read these stories of real dysfunction. And then we think of the promise that God made to Abraham. That in your family, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And we say, how could this be? God, you chose the wrong family. But he didn't choose the wrong family, did he? Because uh, if he chose your family and your dysfunction was written down and codified in the Bible for everyone to read, um, he'd be saying the same thing. God is sovereign no matter how much dysfunction is in our world or in your life. And so you can rest in that and know it will be better for me to be in the will of God. It will be far less painful. My life will not be filled with just one constant wrestling match after another, after another. 
But no matter what you see going on, you can rest in the sovereignty of God. And all of these wrestling matches that we've seen in Jacob's life now lead us up to the final wrestling match in his life, the final showdown. And uh, here we are. This is WrestleMania 2 for Jacob. This is Jacob versus God himself. So turn over to chapter 35, Genesis. This is the turning point in Jacob's life. I think I have that wrong. Chapter 32 is where I want you to be. Chapter 32, excuse me. And Jacob is doing what he usually does, which is devising another scheme. This time, he's coming up with a plan to trick his brother so that his brother won't kill him when he finally runs into him after he hasn't seen him for many, many years. And he's afraid of what's going to happen because of all the deception in the past. And so he's coming up with new deception to cover up the old deception. And uh, if you've ever been in that that pattern in your life, you know how much stress and anxiety that can cause you, right? When you're in a pattern of deceiving and then you have to come up with new deceptions to cover up the old deceptions and on and on. And this is an endless cycle. And so Jacob, once he's just in this cycle of deceiving and he has an encounter with God and it's incredible. We're going to read it together. So Genesis 32. I have that right? 32? Okay, thank you. Starting in verse 22. The same night... He arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and then just so matter-of-factly, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. There's the blessing. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Jacob realized at the end of that wrestling match It was no man he was wrestling. He was wrestling God. All night they're wrestling. And and we know that he's wrestling with God, and that kind of causes us to go back and get to this strange detail in verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And the question is, if we know this is God, why is God struggling to defeat Jacob? Seems like that would not be a difficult uh, match for the most powerful being in the universe. Um, Jacob must be a beast, right? No. What Jacob doesn't understand yet, 
And Kent Hughes points this out, help me see this, is that this wrestling match is like a live-action parable of Jacob's entire life. Jacob has spent his whole life wrestling with everyone he comes in contact with, whether it's his brother, whether it's his dad, whether it's his father-in-law, and on and on. And now he finds himself wrestling with God. And um, we see Tim Mackey describes this as an immovable force coming up against, irresistible object coming up against an immovable force, something like that. You know what I'm trying to say. Basically, we have God's desire to bless Jacob coming up against Jacob's desire to steal and wrestle away any blessing for himself. And uh, so they've been fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting not because God couldn't defeat him, but because it's a metaphor, it's a parable for what Jacob's been doing his whole life. And so what does God do? He touches his hip. And this is, again, how we know that God could have won if he wanted to. Just a touch. They've been wrestling all night, and then boop, and his hip just goes out of socket. Ouch. I never had that happen before. I can't imagine that feels good. And Jacob is humbled, but he cries out, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And then what does this man, God, ask him? What is your name? Why do you ask him his name? Why does this guy just show up and wrestle him? He doesn't, why is he wrestling him? He doesn't even know who he's wrestling. No. He wants Jacob to say it. What's your name? Snake. Deceiver. Heel grabber. So as we read this, we can read this almost like a, like a confession. I'm Jacob. It's true. And the man looks at him and he says, that's not your name anymore. Your name is Israel, which means God fights. Your name used to be I fight. Now your name is God fights. And church, is this not the perfect picture of what God does for us in the gospel? Amen? The story of Jacob, unfortunately, is a look right into our own hearts. If we are left to ourselves, we want to fight and fight and fight for what God promises to give us anyway. But God's purposes will always come to pass. Human stupidity is no match for the sovereignty of God. Can I get an amen to that? Is that good news or what? Human stupidity is no match for God's sovereignty, and God will always prevail. But sometimes, church, it takes a humbling. Sometimes God needs to put your hip out of joint. It's better if you're not wrestling with God. It's less painful, but sometimes God needs to put your hip out of joint, and it only takes one touch. And then the important point, we can finally look to Jacob as a good example for us. This is the, this is the whole point of the whole thing. So you're tuned out, tune in with me now as we close. When you get to the end of yourself, when you finally are humbled, and God asks you your name that's when you have to stop wrestling. Oh, but we still want to wrestle. 
yeah, my name's Jacob, but I'm not really like that. Not really that bad. I just ran into bad circumstances. I was running with the wrong crowd. Deep down, that's not me. That's not what Jacob says. He owns it. He says, I'm Jacob, and when you repent of your sin, you need to do the same thing. Not, ah, yeah, I messed up a little bit. I did some wrong things. No. What's your name? Ah, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm angry. I'm full of lust. I'm greedy. I'm selfish. I'm a gossip. I'm a thief. I only care about myself. I'm happy to hurt other people to bring them down to build myself up. Whatever it is, whatever those things are, you just you confess it. And when you do that, that's when the amazing thing happens where God looks at you. He says, maybe that used to be your name. Maybe that used to be your story. But that's not your name anymore. You are child of God. And nothing can change that. Oh, I love that. God didn't look at Jacob when he said, my name's Jacob, and say, yeah, you, that's a good name for you, buddy. Because all the evidence of your life points to that being the perfect name. And so, why don't you cut it out? No. He says, you are no longer Jacob. You are Israel. Church, if you are in Christ, you are no longer dead in sin. That's your old story. That's your old name. You are a child of God, precious, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Oh, man. If you're not in Christ, and so you are currently then just living up to your old name, Oh, I beg you, I urge you, man, just own it before the Lord and allow his grace to come flooding into your life and say, you have a new story now. Stop living in your old story. Make that decision today. And uh, if you are in Christ, you have been given a name, new name, but you're still finding yourself wrestling because that's what we do because we got stubborn hearts. So if you're still finding yourself wrestling with the Lord, you do well to spend some time confessing that to the Lord and remembering his forgiveness and remembering your new precious name. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. I'm going to have Naomi come up and she's going to play uh, just some background music on the piano I'm going to give you just a few minutes before the Lord, just you and the Lord, and just ask him to show you, where have I been wrestling? Where am I refusing to accept the blessing of the Lord and instead fighting to try and grab it my way? What am I doing to fight God? And where do I need to give up? And maybe God's already put your hip out of joint. Maybe he's about to. If we can avoid that, that would be a good thing. And spend some time with the Lord, confessing your sin, confessing your striving, 
and remembering his grace. So take a few moments and I'll come back and close us in prayer. Father, we thank you, praise you that our old name is not our destiny. Not because we're going to do better, not because we have the power to change it, not because we just need to implement a few new strategies in our life. No, it's because of Jesus. unfathomable grace we praise you for that this morning we thank you that you look at us who are in Christ say you have a new name you've been born again the righteousness of my son whom I sent to save you is credited to your account and you are holy and blameless before me now. What a thought, God. We praise you. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.